Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner, too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now he's rolling in the green. Like a, like a good neighbor. Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Healing our obsession with doing. In this episode, Eckhart talks further about how critical it is that we balance being with doing. He says without it, we will not reach the deeper dimension of consciousness that is our legacy. He explains that when we're so obsessed with doing and achieving, we can't appreciate whatever it is here in the present moment, much less attain enlightenment. He states that the world is already overrun with doing and the result is chaos and that the solution to many of our problems, both individual and collective, start with seeking stillness. He reveals that we are never more ourselves than when we are still. This must be what is called the limelight. <laughs> I don't know what this has to do with lime. There must be some reason in the etymology. The limelight. This may be a question and answer session. I say maybe because you never know. As the ancient Middle Eastern proverb says, the camel driver has his plans and the camel has its own plans. <laughs> Perhaps we can start with a few, before we go on to questions, a few additional remarks about the important subject of being and doing and finding a balance. And before finding a balance, being able to enter, to access the being dimension. That's already a good start. And then at first, what tends to happen, but although not invariably, is you enter the being dimension or access it when you're in a place that is conducive to the stillness or the serenity, or here, a protected space, or perhaps in your, at home in your room, or here in your room, out in nature. And at first, the being dimension is associated with cessation of doing. That's how you first realize it. It's when you're not doing anything and you can just be consciously be, which implies a, no matter how brief, since a cessation of the primary doing, which is the thinking doing. 
without a, a brief cessation in the stream of thinking, it's hard to find the being dimension. But later on, as you become consciously rooted in the being dimension, thinking and being can come together. They are not irreconcilable. And in fact, that is one of your tasks is to, when you do think, not to be totally identified with the stream of thinking. In other words, there's some attention in the background. There's an awareness, a field of, or a space of awareness in the background, even while you're engaged in thinking. As it is now, as I'm speaking, of course, the mind is operating, but I can sense, and perhaps you can, in the background, behind the words, beyond the words, in between the words, there's that space of stillness, beingness, whatever you want to call it. And if you can sense it, it's in you. Because only being can be aware of being, not the mind. If you believe being emanates from me, I suppose it does, but the recognition of being can only happen through accessing that dimension within yourself. Only being can recognize being, not the mind. The mind, however, may come in when you, let's say you recognize the being dimension that is emanates from this uh, thing, that's the body or whatever it is, it emanates and you, can, you sense it. The moment you sense it, it's in you also, consciously. Now it's possible that the mind may come in and misinterpret what's going on. And the mind may confuse the form of the spiritual teacher, whoever it happens to be, the form, form identity with the being dimension and then suddenly the teacher is regarded as a supernatural being or a kind of godlike figure or some great guru or whatever because you confuse that which transcends the form for which the form is only an, an opening you confuse that with the form, and then you make that person through whom being shines, you make that person very special. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. 
I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. This can happen easily. It's a misinterpretation, but at least you recognized being. But what you overlooked is, because not everybody will recognize it in, a, in a, the being dimension in a human being. If it shines through strongly, not everybody recognizes. Some people say, what, what's, this, what's this all about? Why are these people all listening to this guy for two hours? What's, he's not special, he doesn't even jump up and down the stage. And, <laughs> he's just boring, isn't he? He's boring. <laughs> so that's a danger. That is also danger as far as the spiritual teacher is concerned, because there may be remnants of ego left in him or her, and if the teacher is bombarded with a continuous projections of specialness, he or she may begin to believe, in other words, the ego c comes back through the back door and regains ascendancy and the ego comes back and then the teacher begins to think, to feel a specialness in the person, the form. And then it has happened many times, the teacher makes statements such as, I'm certainly the greatest teacher alive on the planet at the present moment. <laughs> or it may go so far as to say, I'm the greatest that has ever lived. All the others were precursors of, I have arrived. <laughs> there is something incredibly special coming through, but it is nobody's possession, it's nobody's achievement, it's, it does not belong to the form dimension. But the form dimension can be an opening just like a window. In a way, one could say, this body and this mind is the window frame. What you see is the window frame, but what the most important thing about the window is the light that comes through the window, and that's the opening. And this may also happen to you as presence arises. If it's not happened already, for many of you probably has happened already, you come into contact with people who are helped by your presence. Uh, even if you don't uh, feel that you know what to do, because this doesn't work like that. And they are drawn to you, they're helped by your presence. There's a kind of transmission. It can, it can awaken the presence in the other, that dimension, the being dimension in the other. And then you, you can find they may then become attached to you because they feel so good in your presence. <laughs> and they can't let go. And again, the danger already arises then that you feel, I, I have done this. This uh, one could call that healing in a deeper sense, not just physical healing, but the true healing is the reconnection with the being dimension that's the true healing. And there's a phrase in this book called The Course in Miracles, which is, the healer does not heal, 
he lets healing be. He does not heal, he lets healing be. So when you are with people who are seeking help, then you don't need to go into your mind and say, how can I help this person? And just to go, the person is talking to you and you already think, oh, perhaps I could say that, I can say that. It doesn't work like that. You're just present. At some point, you may say something from comes sort of the deeper place, or you may not even say anything, and there's just an answer may suddenly appear in the other person, and suddenly, oh, and you never said or did anything, you just sat there. So at first, the, the being dimension, you find it as separate from external activity, or thinking. That's a good beginning, and then gradually you learn that it is not irreconcilable with external activities. It's like presence through movement is a good practice, because you do not need to sit still to find stillness, which is another word for it, which people believe initially. Stillness also has kind of two meanings in English. On the one hand, stillness means the absence of noise, but another meaning of stillness is the absence of movement. And you say, sit still. It's the absence of movement. He stood still, he sat. So it's stillness points in English to the absence of either noise or movement. So when we talk about stillness, you might think you have to, you can't move in order to be, to consciously sense the being dimension, you mustn't move. <laughs> and then you learn you can actually move, and in fact it can be helpful. You begin with that. And then you can perform certain tasks and still be in that connectedness with being instead of completely losing yourself in the activity. You can have goals to pursue, which is in the realm of doing. It's good to have goals, although there may, may be periods in your life when you don't need any goals. Certainly, if you reach a certain age, it becomes increasingly pointless to pursue goals, at least at the latest by the age of 95. You don't need to pursue any more goals unless for some reason you have to. But even before then, there may be time periods in your life when the pursuit of goals is not necessary and you can become more deeply immersed, just be engaged in ordinary everyday activity without having, pursuing any particular big goal, big or small, working towards something. But on the whole, it's, it's good to have goals. But again, goals belong to the realm of doing and that's fine. The problem arises if the goal absorbs so much of your attention, the, the meaning, the desired outcome, the place you want to arrive at, whatever that may be, passing an exam, achieving a certain position, acquiring mastery in some activity, whatever it may be, if the desired outcome occupies a 
place in your mind that's overwhelming or you desperately need to arrive at that place, then in the meantime, all the things that you do, the steps you take, the activities you undertake in order to arrive at your goal, are then simply a means to an end. And they are not enjoyable because you desperately want to have arrived already, to have attained that already. So some ambitious people are like that. They are, what's the expression, consumed by ambition. <laughs> this is almost literally true. And in the meantime, they're very unhappy while they're working so hard or whatever they do to achieve their goal. And not only are they unhappy and full of anger very often and irritation when things don't go the way they want them to go, when little obstacles arise, as they always do, often in the form of people. <laughs> so obviously, right, they get angry. So the entire journey is a place of unhappiness and stress and turmoil and often toxic emotions and not only do they make themselves unhappy, whoever is around them is also unhappy. The entire company, if it's a big business, the entire company is unhappy, basically, <laughs> and stressed. And so although there is a saying that in order to achieve anything in life, you need to learn to, what's the expression? It's to delay gratification. There's some truth to that, some truths. You can have a young person, one young person studies to go to college and studies in the evenings and only goes out occasionally and the, the next door neighbor can't be bothered, wants immediate gratification and starts drinking and indulging in not only intoxicating beverages but also substances and whatever hangs out in clubs and What's the point in doing anything? And a few years later, the one who delayed gratification achieves something, and so that seems to be true. The danger is, though, with that recipe of delayed gratification is it becomes a mindset in you that you cannot get rid of after a few years of practicing delayed gratification you never arrive at gratification, except very briefly, and then you have to delay again because you have another goal that consumes you. That's the danger. And all that means there's an, that it's not balanced, the life is not balanced by the being dimension. You're so obsessed with doing and arriving and achieving that you cannot appreciate whatever is here at the present moment. It's like a you're on a hike and you want to go to the top of the mountain or whatever it is, you're determined to do it in six hours, I'm doing to do it, I'm timing myself and I'm going to do it. On the way you see the most beautiful flowers and the, the sky and incredible marvels of nature, you don't see any of that because you desperately want to arrive. This is your task and finally you make it. But what was the journey like? It wasn't that great because you didn't see all the, the, the beauty around you. As the expression goes, you couldn't stop and smell the flowers. <coughs> because if you could stop for a moment, there's the being dimension, is present moment. 
it's inseparable from the present moment, from acknowledging the present moment. That's the portal or the entry point into the being dimension is the present moment. If you miss that, you might have certain successes, as what the world called success. You might have certain successes in life, but fairly pointless, because the whole journey was a journey of unhappiness, and, and even when you arrive, you're still a stressed out being. I'm not necessarily saying everybody is successful, so that there may be some humans who are able to balance being, and in fact there are, I've met a few, who are very successful in the world, nevertheless are not lost in the activity, still being able to appreciate the present moment. And then, what about the delayed gratification then? How does that work? Well, is it possible to change your attitude and instead of saying, okay, I have to delay gratification, are you able, perhaps, to enjoy whatever activity you engage in? Let's say you're learning to play an instrument and you want to get good at it, and other people are playing around and you are practicing. Are you able, perhaps, to experience gratification even with the practice before you arrive at mastery, even at the very beginning? So it is possible to Many, many tasks can be performed in such a way that you don't need to delay gratification. Your attitude towards the task can change so that the task itself becomes satisfying already in itself. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now, he's rolling in the green. Like a, like a good neighbor. Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. And then you don't need to delay gratification because the gratification can already be here in the present moment. Many things can be actually enjoyed Although the world may tell you this, you're doing this in order to arrive, it's only a means to an end. And when that becomes a mindset, then your entire life becomes a means to an end. Where's the end? You never arrive. <laughs> so you are transforming, converting, reducing the present moment to a means to an end. The one thing that only the only thing that ever is real, you're saying, well, that's just, a, I'm just trying to get there. This is just a stepping stone. That's the unconscious pattern. I'm trying to get there. Here is never good enough. Why is it not good enough? Because the true goodness derives from the, that inner place, the recognition of being. That's the source of all joy or happiness. Uh, joy might be a better word. Uh, happiness is kind of 
more superficial. Happy, I'm so happy. <laughs> Things are going great for me, I'm happy. Things are, well, so everything is going great. Until the next day, something went wrong, I'm not happy anymore. And the strange thing is you can experience the superficial emotions of happiness and unhappiness while you're connected to the deeper dimension of being. So when somebody close to you dies, weeping can happen. So you, you, one cannot say, I'm still happy. My, my mother has died, my father has died, my child has died. I'm, I'm still happy though, I'm happy. No, you can't be, how can you be happy? But you may be weeping, but deep inside you're at, at peace, even while on the surface there is a movement of sadness, which one call unhappiness. And then something good happens and you say, oh, great. It's fine, but it's not, it doesn't make you ecstatic when something good happens to you. You win the lottery, that's the thing people think of that when something good happens. Oh, by the way, as you probably know, there's even been written books about it. But many, many people, the majority of people who make big lottery wins, their life deteriorates over a period of five, five to ten years. They become more unhappy than they were before, but that's another matter. <laughs> so something good happens, and again, if you are totally dependent on external conditions for your happiness, then if something good happens, like Lodermann, you go, you're in incredibly, incredibly, you're on a, on a huge high. You can sometimes see it when people, people suddenly achieve something and think, wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a high, and it won't last for very long. But if you're connected with being, you still go, oh, that's great. But it's no longer, there's no longer this unbalanced reaction. I remember Oprah was telling the story about me that I've forgotten about it, but she told it several times. And she called me, she wanted to tell me about the new earth that had been selected for a book club. She called me and said, I have selected your book. I said, oh, that's good, that's wonderful, great. And she thought, well, that's strange. That's not how normally people react. And and, and then she said, and also I want to do with you a six-week, six or eight, seminar. Every week we're going to do it together on a webinar on the book, one chapter per week. And I, and I said, oh, have you done this before? He said, no, I haven't, this first time. Oh, that's great. Yes, I'll do it. And she found that so strange that later she talked about it. She said, when I called Eckhart, he just said, okay. <laughs> I, I was happy. 
cobra, cobra, she called me. Whoa. And then perhaps a couple of years later, I haven't heard from her in two years. She's forgotten about me. So, and this applies to even a simple thing. I gave the example of going on a hike or a walk or whatever. Again, to bring in the appreciation of the present moment even while you're pursuing a goal so that the activity, the action, is of a high quality. That's an interesting way of putting it. You perform an action consciously in the present moment, not because you want to get to some other moment. You give your fullest attention to whatever action you're taking at this moment. Whether you're on a hike, it's the step you're taking now, and you're looking around. There's beauty everywhere. So you give your fullest attention to the action you're taking. That's high-quality action. Consciousness flows into what you do in the present moment. And the strange thing is, you are more likely to succeed in your endeavors if that is the underlying state of consciousness. You're more likely to succeed when you no longer desperately need to succeed. <laughs> and so you begin to bring together the being dimension and the doing dimension in activities. Honor the present moment. It's more important than the next moment. Or the yes, you want to get to your goal, but whatever is now is of primary importance. That's a shift in consciousness. Whatever your activity or your doing is now is of primary importance. The getting there is of secondary importance. You need it, it's good, but it's of secondary importance. There's a story of a Zen master who was watching an archery competition where they have big bows and arrows, and there was an, a famous master of archery, and he wasn't doing very well. He was not hitting the, the target. And the master was watching. The disciple asked, What's, why isn't he doing well today? And the master said something like, his desire, his desire to win deprives him of power. His desire to be the best deprives him of, in other words, he is not totally present. He is focusing on the outcome not totally present in the doing. And so the doing is of a lower quality. And the wonderful thing is not every endeavor that you undertake is going to succeed. That's just in the nature of things. You may have great plans. Maybe you never arrive. It's possible. Go to Los Angeles where in every good restaurant all the waiters and waitresses are actors, but for the time being they are out of a job, but they are wanting to arrive 
obviously, a few do, and many do not. Does that mean a failed life? Not at all. Something else will arise that may be infinitely better than acting. But in the meantime, how do you perform the activity that you're engaged in now? Do you honor the present moment? What would you like? Yes, okay, an omelette, right, okay. And then you bring it and you put the plate down on the table consciously. It's very different from somebody who just a waiter just puts it, there it is. Here you are, okay. Put it down consciously. Doesn't have to be slower than normal, but it's consciously. <laughs> And then you honor the other the person. Is there anything else I can get you? Is there any? Oh, right. And so you're, you're enjoying even that instead of mentally saying, this is what has come to, to now I'm, I'm working as a waiter and I was meant to be a great star. <laughs> and perhaps your life will move in a totally different direction. But the, the starting point is the performance of the action now, which if it's done consciously, much more likely to lead to the next thing, whatever that may be. It may be totally different from acting. You, a point may come when you are happy that you never became a great star in Hollywood, because you, we might see that a lot of that is actually extremely fake. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is in there is fake, but, well, many are. <laughs> Yeah. Not all. And then the next thing to reconcile the doing and being, this is advanced practice while you're engaged in speaking and thinking, not to lose yourself in the stream of the mind, the mental stream, especially discussing something. You have opinions that may be important to you, do you derive your identity from your opinions? Or are, they just, are you just holding opinions and your identity comes from a deeper place? That's the question. If your identity comes from a deeper place, then you can remain, your awareness remains in the deeper place. So the awareness is the deeper place. So you're engaged in speaking and thinking Let's say you need to solve, there's a problem to be solved. This is constructive thinking. What can I do in order to, to, to get to where I want to, what can I do about this problem? I can do this, this or that. Well, that's not it. And then there you learn to step out of thinking periodically and become alert and still. And when you resume thinking, often an insight suddenly arises, a thought that you hadn't had before comes from a deeper place. And not only that, sometimes if you access that deeper place, so your, your thinking can be interspersed with spaces. And even while you talk, you say what you had to say and then you come to an end and you step back into awareness while you listen to the other person and you're not preparing the next thing you're going to say. You, you just, you're present and you listen, stepping back into presence so that you're not dragged along in this mind stream. Often when people have discussions and you can observe how there's just no end. 
they're being dragged along this stream, this... <laughs> so it's a bit like this awareness in the background, which is the being dimension, while things happen in the foreground, that is the secret to living a fulfilled life, no matter what form that takes externally. And so one could compare this to, one can use the analogy of, let's say your life is a painting, uh, and the, all the situations and the things that you do and that happen to you, let's say it's a moving painting, well, most paintings are not uh, static, but in this analogy, you have a painting, it's moving, it's your life, all the stuff that happens to people and situations and so on. But the, the painting is painted on a canvas. Without the canvas, there could be no painting. So let's take this analogy a little bit further where it becomes a little bit absurd. Let's see the, the painting wants to become conscious of itself. <laughs> and it realizes that suddenly the very foundation for it all is the canvas. The painting becomes aware of the canvas and not only of the things that happen on the canvas. So what is the canvas in this analogy? That, that is the space, space consciousness, as I sometimes call it, being consciousness. And the rest is the foreground. The entire life is foreground, which, which is object consciousness. Space consciousness, optic consciousness. Being, doing. Being, becoming. Because on that, that level of doing, you're also engaged in becoming. You're doing and you, be, you develop as a human being. You become more knowledgeable. You become more experienced. You become stronger. You become whatever you become. There's a development. There's a growth that's fine, that's wonderful. And of course, at some point, there's a downside to the becoming. The becoming is no longer a positive thing because you're becoming old. <laughs> After all the achievements, if there are achievements, you suddenly realize I've become many wonderful things and now I'm becoming old. <laughs> so don't get too much drawn into the stream of becoming, although it's a good thing, it's part of being human. You have to be engaged in the stream of becoming but, but if that's all there is, it will not end well. <laughs> it cannot. <laughs> then the point comes when things that you have acquired, you have to let go as the older you get. And you lose abilities, bodily functions, and so on. So you have the two sides of becoming. There's nothing wrong with becoming. And when, if, if you have a correct attitude towards becoming, because they, there's more to your consciousness than the become, stream of becoming, then even the negative side of becoming 
is not going to be terrible anymore because the growing old process, you observe it and it doesn't matter at all. It's fine. I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> and there's a place inside you that doesn't feel old at all. The consciousness is timeless and it's only when you accidentally look in the mirror <laughs> that you say, who is that? <laughs> That's, who is that old man? But imagine how hard it is to grow old when you have been identified with the body, for example, derived your sense of self-worth from looking good or being strong. How dreadful that is, what the suffering that is, a psychological suffering far more than physical suffering that comes when certain bodily functions are not functioning anymore. So the, the psychological suffering is terrible and even achievements, at some point, there's a letting, you have to let go, or it's taken away from you. So, my intention was to deliver a few additional remarks to <laughs> uh, the camel had its own plans. <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Is it just me, or is it getting really hard to figure out the best way to save for retirement? Fidelity can help you find clarity so you can save the best way for you. With a free personalized plan, goal tracking, and timely insights, you'll be set to take on retirement your way. Get started at fidelity.com slash future. Expenses charged by your investments and other costs and fees associated with trading or transacting in your account apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services member NYSE SIPC. I know how to run a hair salon. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner, too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.